Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing Dharma. Dharma, right living, how to live fully awakened to our divine nature and to express it in all that we do. We will be discussing how the ancient teachings of yoga give us tools to live in a way that brings joy to our heart and peace to others and to the world. I'm very fortunate to be joined today by my teacher and the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Yogacharya O'Brien is an acclaimed teacher, award-winning author, and minister who has served seekers of spiritual enlightenment from all walks of life for over 30 years. She has published several books and audio programs about meditation, mindfulness, and spiritual living. She offers a refreshing and authentic voice that makes timeless wisdom accessible to the modern mind. As a teacher in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, Yogacharya O'Brien serves people from all faith backgrounds who are seeking what is known as self or God realization or awakening. She's the spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in San Jose, California, as well as the founder of this podcast. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm really delighted you could join me today on the show. Thanks, Dr. Trujillo. It's wonderful to be here and hello to all of our Yoga Hour subscribers and listeners. I'm happy to be with you as well. Before we begin our dialogue about Dharma, let's start as we mean to go on. Let's start with a yoga moment, a moment of being fully present right here and right now. Let's begin by bringing our attention to the body, just feeling the body in space, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking or driving, just feeling the body and paying particular attention to the surfaces that support our weight. Now, let's turn our attention to the breath and just notice as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how that air is now warmer. And just staying with our breath, noticing each and every breath, each inhale and each exhale. Here's something to contemplate, a quote from Paramahansa Yogananda. We are on earth, but a little while. The real reason for being here is very different from what most people imagine. There is a fundamental purpose for our lives. To know it, we must know life's origin and where it is going. Look beyond our short-term goals to what we ultimately want to accomplish and consider life's highest potential for development. We are on earth, but a little while. The real reason for being here is very different from what most people imagine. There is a fundamental purpose for our lives. To know it, we must know life's origin and where it is going. Look beyond our short-term goals to what we ultimately want to accomplish and consider life's highest potential for development. Om. 
Once again, Yogacharya O'Brien, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today about Dharma, how to awaken to our divine life and discover our life's purpose. In today's world, Dharma is one of a number of Sanskrit terms that are used in everyday language, but people may not be familiar with the, the true meaning of these words. So let's start there. Would you define the Sanskrit word Dharma for us? Sure. Um, well, like many Sanskrit words, it has a wealth of meanings and implications. And so sometimes Dharma is defined as your life purpose. Um, broadly, it is defined as the way of righteousness, um, meaning the highest way to live in harmony with the divine order. It can refer to um uh, law, meaning order, it could be religious law, ethical law, that, that all is um, dharma. And in the um, Sanskrit dictionary put together by John Grimes, there's a lovely way of describing it. He says, literally, the word dharma means what holds together. Mm. Thus, it is the basis of all order, whether social or moral. And as an ethical or moral value, it is instrumental to liberation or ultimate freedom because this has to do with um, being in harmony with the divine order rather than leading an egocentric life. So Dharma is the fundamental order of life and um, it is also living our dharma that is living that highest purpose of how we come into uh, the way of righteousness, the way, capital W, in our own life, in act, in cooperation with the infinite. You know, we can discover that life is orderly, it has a plan, it has a purpose, it is intelligent, and uh, we are designed to learn how to cooperate with that and our freedom and happiness is tied up with that, is connected with that. The closer we are to our dharma, uh, the closer we are to our freedom and our joy. So from what you've said, um, that that our freedom and happiness is tied up with dharma, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not too much of a leap then to realize how important it is to know about Dharma and to try to follow the path of Dharmic living. But did you want to say a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, we can think of Dharmic living as living in the highest way. And by that, I mean, learning, my teacher used to say, you know, you can, there's a, there's an enlivening power that is running the universe and you can learn how to cooperate with it. So living a dharmic life is learning how the universe works, learning what the laws of nature are, but also learning about spiritual law, like how we align our thoughts, our speech and our action with this divine order that moves everything in the direction of fulfillment of its purpose. So, you know, people want to know, that's one of the big questions we have, you know, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? What, what should I do with my life? And um, ultimately, I think it's not even so much about what we do, but it is who we are and who we are becoming um, that, that has to do with our responsibilities, the qualities of our a being of our nature um, and our, our dreams and our, we can say our soul inclinations, you know, how does all of that come together to be expressed? And, you know, sometimes people get confused about Dharma and the way of righteousness and they think outside of themselves and they think, well, you know, Maybe I should be uh, a monk or a nun, or you know, I should be a spiritual teacher or a life coach, or um, because they see that as a good vocation. And but the work of Dharma is finding out what are your responsibilities, you know, where you are in your life, 
um, what your duties are, um, what your talents are, what your inclinations are. And again, and I mentioned what your, what your soul um, dreams and visions are, yearnings, soul yearnings, all of that, you know, is very particular to you. So let me back up and say, you know, often it's helpful to understand that there are two levels of Dharma. You know, one is the ultimate. We're all here to wake up to what we are and as spiritual beings and to learn about, you know, the nature of life, the reality of God or spirit or consciousness, whatever you want to call it. We're here to awaken to that, to learn to cooperate with it. And then part of that second part of learning to cooperate with it is um, learning what is ours to do and to be, you know, how we, how, you know, in a sense, God can be God in us, or how we can, sometimes I say, how we can be the growing edge of love in the world, that what is ours to do? And that's not an external thing. It's, it, it's something that unfolds with us through time. So Dharma is one of the four pur- purusharthas, the four goals of life. The other three purusharthas are artha, prosperity, kama, or pleasure, and then moksha, or liberation. We could have made the entire conversation about these four goals of life, for sure. There's so much to say about them. But in particular, I wanted to focus on artha, which is a subject of your book, your delightful book, The Jewel of Abundance. And in The Jewel of Abundance, you mentioned that the two essential life streams, living with higher purpose, or dharma, and prosperity, or artha, merge. The two essential life streams, living with higher purpose and prosperity, merge as we integrate our bliss by doing what is ours to do. This is svadharma, fulfilling our own natural duty, embracing divine destiny. I thought this was a good point to look at a little bit further, this relationship between dharma and artha. So did you want to comment further about that? Well, I can just say that for me, it was like a breath of fresh air. You know, when I discovered the Purushartas, you know, that these goals of life, you know, as a student of yoga, I understood, you know, that we're here to awaken um, spiritually. We're here to wake up and to live a spiritually conscious life. And I also understood that the highest goal of yoga, of Kriya yoga practice and the other uh avenues of yoga are about liberation, about finding freedom, you know, freedom from ignorance uh, in this lifetime. Um, But the ones in the middle were new to me, which is Arta, as you mentioned, you know, uh, learning how to have your needs met, you know, how to um, prosper and to thrive. And also pleasure, you know, how to experience uh, happiness and joy and pleasure in life. So uh, it never occurred to me that that could be part of the spiritual plan for life. Um, but, <laughs> but of course, it's natural to us, you know, the soul inherently wants to thrive and to express. That is its its nature. You know, that's what we're here for. Otherwise, why would we be here? But In terms of dharma, the critical piece is bringing together that um, desire, that soul desire to thrive and to express and let it be guided by dharma and let your prosperity support your purpose. So, you know, sometimes people get it backwards, you know, so they're looking at how to prosper first and, you know, once I figure out, you know, how to get all my material needs met, and and this is, I mean, at a higher level, I'm not here about the level of survival, but, um, you know, once I have everything that I want, you know, then I'll think about, you know, be free to do my life purpose. But this is a holistic plan in which, um, you know, we learn how to work with the gifts that we are given to thrive and to prosper in harmony with divine will in our life, in harmony with our higher purpose. So um, prosperity is there in a sense, you know, really to support dharmic living. And 
um, they work together and you can't really separate them if you want to know real happiness. Otherwise you'll always be, you know, chasing after the carrot. Um, but the golden carrot <laughs> is living the dharmic life. Mm -hmm. So the other term that I had brought up there, the svadharma, I think was, you know, part of what you're meaning about the personal, you know, our, what is personally ours to do. Um, and this is a struggle uh, for, you know, for many people figuring out, you know, what it is that is ours to do. Did you want to comment a little bit more about that? Um, no, I mean, part of it is, I think that we don't know where to look. And so we're sort of trained, you know, from childhood to look outside of ourselves, you know, like, like what is a good location to have? And then we have, you know, the environmental influences, the, the country you live in, the national milieu that surrounds that, you know, what is considered of high value in your culture and your place in the culture and your particular family, what, what they train you in, what they think is right for you, what the school tells you, you know, there's all of that. So, um, you know, most of us grow up not quite knowing how to um, discover our own way of being and to let that unfold, you know, in a dharmic way. There's some beautiful teachings in the Bhagavad Gita on this topic. And, you know, we have Gita study at the center regularly uh, with me. And right now we're on chapter three and it just happens synchronously with synchronicity that um, the verses we're going to be looking at this week are um, 33 to 35. And verse 33 in the Bhagavad Gita is teaching on, you know, how to live skillfully with karma yoga, says all living beings follow their nature, meaning that everybody has inclinations. I mean, obviously we look around, people are different. You know, some people are natural leaders or managers, others are, you know, more introverted, they're going to be very individual and in how they do what they do. I mean, you know, I, as the director and founder of the center, I look back and when I was a little kid, I was already gathering groups around me, you know, to do things. I mean, and I mean, I was changing all the time what I was doing, but always, I would start clubs and, you know, I would, I, and of course, because I started the club, I would be the president of the club. And so <laughs> it, was, it was kind of funny, but, you know, when I look back and I think, oh, even as children, you know, um, the nature is usually pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. And so it can find expression there. And then if you, you know, when you find your niche, you know, in life and you're looking at, well, what are the qualities and the karmic influences, you know, that I bring, um, you can kind of see that stream. Um, so this says all living beings follow their nature. Even a person of knowledge acts in accordance with his own nature. And then it asks the question, you know, so what can restraint accomplish? Because we, we hear in the teachings of yoga, how important it is not to just follow your desires, you know, not to just chase after sensory impulses. So, you know, if everybody has a certain inclination, you know, like if I had this inclination somehow to lead, um, you know, should I have restrained that <laughs> you know, well there's parts of it of course you know the the egoic part of it has to be restrained but what this verse is talking about is that there is a natural way of being i think in ayurveda it would be your prakriti right your your natural tendency and you need to learn what that is. And your swadharma needs to be in harmony with that. Because later uh, in verse 35, um, it tells us, which this is one of the best verses, I think, in the Bhagavad Gita. And it's a familiar one. It says, better is one's own duty or one's swadharma, though devoid of merit, than the duty of another well performed. Mm -hmm. um, better is death in one's own duty uh, another's duty is full of fear or invites danger so better is one's own duty though devoid of merit than the duty of another well performed mm. so 
that tells us a lot about Swadharma and why it's so important to learn about our own nature, you know, our own inclinations. And then we also have to look at where we are in time and space and in this incarnation and what are our responsibilities. Right. So, um, you know, uh, because whatever your nature is, it also has to take that uh, into account. Mm. And, um, and I think that many people can relate to this, you know, like, for example, I'm, I'm a very introverted person. And it would be hard to tell, I think, sometimes because I teach publicly, but in my private life, I'm just really happy to be alone. You know, that's where I uh, receive the deepest nurturance. So it's, it's helpful for me to have that balance in my life. And sometimes I feel like I should be a, you know, a monk or a non-female language. Um, but that's not my responsibility because I'm married, I have children, I have grandchildren, and also I have a dog. And so those are... <laughs> Those are my, it's part of my responsibility. And so um, that contributes to my Swadharma, being aware of that. And, um, and also, you know, we have certain talents and abilities that are at the level of interest. But what is going to be our Dharma is something that is is going to contribute to life in a higher way and is going to contribute to our liberation. So I was talking with my husband this morning, and we frequently talk about these topics, um, Dharma, Swadharma, and so on and so forth. And I asked him if I could share, you know, a little bit of his story. And he said, yes, um, because he's a uh, marriage and family therapist and he's been doing it for, you know, more than 40 years and he's very successful at what he does and he's very good at what he does. And sometimes he says to me, you know, doing what I do is like breathing for me. In other words, it's just natural and it's easeful. Well, he had another idea of what he was going to be when he was a younger man in his 20s which he he was pretty sure he his destiny was to be a rock star <laughs> because he lived in New York, you know, he played guitar and he was kind of in the circles of the music movement that was happening, you know, during that time and he he had some interesting karmic um activity of meeting um, people who became very famous, you know, um, Bob Dylan, John Lennon, George Harrison, Eric Clapton. So he, he, there's, and those people, that was their dharma. They went on, you know, to, to do that. He did not go on to do it. And he said, you know, I, I loved the music and I still love it, but it's not like breathing for me. You know, I'm very self-conscious, you know, he says, I'm very self-conscious when I'm playing music. I don't feel at ease, you know, being on a stage. And so I think sometimes people take their interests and they try to make their interests their dharma, but dharma is much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. In your book, Jewel of Abundance, you share some characteristics of our life's purpose. You describe them as the seven marks of Svadharma. And I thought these were really interesting and I wanted to include some of them in our conversation. Since there's seven, I won't do them all, but these are the ones that kind of struck me. Um, you write, it contributes to the welfare of all, talking about Svadharma, these seven marks of Svadharma. So it contributes to the welfare of all. It supports our maturity. Our purpose is in harmony with our inner disposition. It unfolds with grace. And living our purpose makes our heart sing with joy. There's something about this list that I really appreciated, these characteristics of Svadharma, as it seemed to me that they really helped point the way to discovering our Svadharma. I, this again, we could talk the entire rest of the time probably about, about these, but did you want to make any comments about these uh, seven marks of Svadharma? Well, I think it, 
I think it reflects a bit on the story I just told about my husband, you know, that um, he has that talent and he still plays guitar and he loves to lead Kirtan with me. Um, but it wasn't his Swadharma. You know, it wasn't necessarily going to support his maturity or his well-being. You know, I mean, the life of a rock star is a really hard life and you have to have a certain, um, I don't know what it would be. I, I mean, it has to be your destiny for one thing. And um, you have to have a certain strength, I think, to be able to manage being in that kind of a of an atmosphere. And um, so I think it's like that to separate, you know, what our interests are from our destiny and our Dharma that is going to serve in a higher way. It, it will serve us in terms of um, having us grow and it will serve life in terms of giving back something that we have been given that is worthy, you know, that is useful to life. And, you know, so for me, you know, I mentioned being an introvert and my early work uh, in life was, you know, writing and that stream has carried on. But, you know, I, I studied poetry in college and also ceramics. And so I, um, I spent some early years uh, of my career as a uh, potter and, you know, having art shows and selling my wares. And so that was very introverted art. You know, it was very, it's, I, I could do it on my own and, um, and make a little bit of money, you know, selling my wares. Um, and, you know, and maybe it brought some joy um, to the people who, you know, got the soup bowl they wanted, but life had more in mind for me um, with the gifts that I was given. So if I had stayed in my life, you know, as a potter or even a poet just writing in my study, um, I would not have developed personally, you know, in the same way. So in a sense, I would have been doing somebody else's swadharma. It wouldn't have been mine, even though it was an interest of mine. Um, you know, and sometimes I, I, you know, and it happens, you know, once in a while, I just think about, oh, how would that have been, you know, <laughs> just, just, um, you know, to be out of public life. Um, that seems very alluring, but it would, I have had to grow um, and grow and grow again, you know, to do what I signed up to do in this lifetime. So that's that's what Dharma should be doing for us. It should be stretching us. But at the same time, stretching us in a way that we know is grace-filled and we know is ours to do. And we do see, as you read in this list, we do see indications of divine grace. And so that has happened for me all the way along in my work as a Kriya Yoga teacher you know, the blessing of meeting my guru, the blessings that have unfolded uh, in the work, you know, over four decades of, you know, a beautiful um, ashram, beautiful home, really just unfolding, not coming through my personal effort, but connected to my commitment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, a beautiful illustration of a couple of those principles that I was talking about, about how it unfolds with grace and how it contributes to our maturity and obviously contributes to the good of all. So that, that was great. As a reminder to our listeners, today my guest on the Yoga Hour is Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, an acclaimed teacher, award-winning author, and minister, and the director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in San Jose, California. You can find out more about Yogacharya O'Brien at her website, ellengraceobrien.com. Brian is with an A, B-R-I-A-N, allengraceobrien.com. This link will also be on our website at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Um, I did want to mention this idea of intrasnet because it's one that I, um, I I have really related to, and it kind of relates to what you were describing 
in the verses from the Bhagavad Gita that you shared about how it's better to do your own um, dharma, even without merit, um, than to do the dharma of somebody else. And so Indra's net is this um, net that you know covers the earth and everywhere there's the, the the two fibers cross the warp and the woof or weft however you say it um there's a little jewel and that jewel is each of us and that um if you're not doing the darm you know the what the work that you are here to do that there's n there's nothing else that can replace you know that that little so it's you know again getting to how it's better to do the work that's yours to do even if you could be successful um doing somebody else's so did you want to comment on that well i think this also connected to You know what you what you come in with, mm -hmm. uh, what you're born with, and what your purpose is. You know whether or not you believe in re reincarnation. Um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. If you if you have children or you observe them, you know, in the same family, they're very different. They have different interests, different inclinations, and you know, remembering yourself as a child. Um, so I also like to think of us on this trajectory, you know, through time and space, fulfilling our divine purpose. And so when you talk about being in our right place and the importance that we each contribute, what we're here to contribute, you can also extend that to thinking about a soul's journey through space and time. Mm -hmm. That, you know, you come in with a purpose to be fulfilled and everything in a sense is arranged for that. And I like to look at it that way too. Um, you know, when, when I train teachers in the Kriya Yoga tradition, I often tell them that you'll be surprised. You know, when you look back, uh, everything that you've done in your life, um, whether you feel it was a mistake um, whether it was hard for you or something that you succeeded at, you know, everything, what has happened to you, challenges you've been through, successes you've had, everything you will begin to see in the light of how God will use it or how spirit will use it. Um, and that is a really wonderful thing to see how all of your talent, when you discover your swadharma, your dharma, Everything that has brought you to this point in your life um, is used. You know, it, it's part of what you bring to the table. So that also makes your the wholeness of your life, in a sense, more meaningful. You know, even things that you wish hadn't happened mm -hmm. uh, become part of what it is that you can give from. Um, from your humanity, from your mistakes, from your sorrows. Um, all of that is what has honed you, you know, into the person that you are and that you have to share with somebody else in a way that will shine a light on their path. Mm -hmm. So that's how I also see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. In Eknath Esvaran's introduction to his translation of the Bhagavad Gita, he relates a story that I thought I would share as part of this conversation. The story is a sage seated beside the Ganges notices a scorpion that has fallen into the water. He reaches down and rescues it, only to be stung. Sometime later, he looks down and sees the scorpion thrashing about in the water again. Once more, he reaches down to rescue it, and once more, he is stung. A bystander, observing all this, exclaims, Holy One, why do you keep doing that? Don't you see that the wretched creature will only sting you in return? Of course, the sage replied, it is the dharma of a scorpion to sting, but it is the dharma of a human being to save. I just thought it was a lovely story. Would you like to comment further on that? It is a beautiful story um, that really, you know, harkens back to 
uh, the verse 33 that I read, that everyone and everything has its own nature. And really that's another definition of dharma, the nature of, of a thing. So the nature of a wave is to wave on the ocean, you know, and if it doesn't wave, it's, it's not a wave. <laughs> you know, everything has its own nature. Um, that's really the point of that, of that story. And in learning what your nature is, and I think learning what the nature of others is so that we can, um, you know, stop expecting, uh, you know, particularly other people that we live with or we work with, um, to be more like we want them to be. Um, and, you know, see more into what their nature is and um, being more uh, accepting of it. You know, there's another version of the story that I would tell, which is, you know, learning how to skillfully take the scorpion out <laughs> so, so you don't get stung. Um, but, you know, that's not the point of the story. But, you know, if we if we were to continue the story, we might accept that, yes, that's what the scorpion's going to do. And so we learn how to take a little paper cup or, you know, something to move the scorpion and we don't keep going back and getting stung. So that's kind of a basic law in relationship. Right. That's great. <laughs> Eknathes Ron goes on to share an ancient Sanskrit epigram, Ahimsa Paramo Dharma, meaning the highest Dharma is Ahimsa, nonviolence, universal love for all living creatures, for every kind of violence is a violation of Dharma, the fundamental law of the unity of life. As I was reflecting on this topic of conversation with you, this Dharma, and we were preparing the, um, the um, list of questions I wanted to ask you, it was just striking me how Dharma is just so important with so many of these, you know, principle, other yogic principles. In this case, um, in this case, Ahimsa, in this case, one of the um, yamas or restraints that deal with how we behave ethically in relationship with others. So would you say more about this relationship between ahimsa and dharma? Well, if you're cooperating with the fundamental, natural and ethical and moral law of the universe, um, the foundation of that is, is non-harming. So, you know, it's just, it makes sense. I mean, where it, there are um, ways in which there are questions that arise, you know, that have to do with, well, how about defending yourself or defending your country? You know, those things come in there too. And, you know, and the scriptures are filled with stories uh, about that to help illustrate and, and the Bhagavad Gita being one, you know, where, um, Krishna is urging Arjuna to fight and it has to do with um, having righteousness and divine order um, prevail. So yes, Ahimsa guides our life and, and is the foundation for life and, and the power of Ahimsa is um, I think the greatest power in the world, you know, we could say it's the power of love. And, uh, you know, I have felt that, you know, Mahatma Gandhi certainly demonstrated what can be done uh, through nonviolence and truth um, and love, you know, being the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to touch on that next, actually. Another of the yamas is truthfulness, these ethical principles that guide, come directly out of the, you know, the eight limbs of yoga. The first limb is these yamas. So truthfulness, how does following our dharma, living a spiritually conscious life, relate to the practice of truthfulness? One of the things that, that I discovered along the way in my spiritual journey was you know, how important truth is on so many levels, you know, how to know what the highest truth is with a capital T. And, and then that means, you know, once you know that capital T, 
that, that life is consciousness expressing and God in expression, then your life to be truthful, you know, if you are an expression of that has to be in harmony with that. So that's where we see the intersection of satya, of truthfulness, truthfulness and dharma. But the other piece of that, I would say the corollary um, that I had to learn um, that took some time was learning how to be truthful with myself. And this is a key to knowing and expressing your swadharma because, um, you know, we I think many of us have a tendency to try to cover up the promptings of the soul, um, you know, as to, you know, say to do what we know we should do. Um, we sometimes do what we think we should do. We sometimes do what we want to do. And all the while there is this yearning at the soul level, which is connected to the truth of our being, the truth of our life about what we must do that is dharmic. And sometimes we have to make radical changes in our life um, and you know, learn how to listen to the voice, the still small voice, which is the voice of truth, the voice of conscience um, within us. So you can't fully live your dharma without figuring out how to do that because the tendency is to just keep either putting it off or covering it up mm -hmm. um, because sometimes it feels scary, you know, to do what is required of you. Um, you know, so much in the work that I have done for many years, I felt um, blessed by, um, I don't know, somehow being, I felt like, oh, you know, I, I'm just kind of moving at the, trying to keep up with grace. That was like my experience. And I, it didn't, I didn't think too much about it. I just, you know, I prayed, certainly prayed and kind of did what was right in front of me and what opened in front of me that was dharmic in nature and uh, feel, felt like the right thing to do. But um, if I had thought about a lot of things, I would have been too afraid to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had thought more about, you know, I remember when, <laughs> when we purchased the ashram property in San Jose, which is a beautiful property and an acre of land and a, beautiful residential area um, with the uh, fabulous, uh, beautiful buildings on it and a temple. And, um, you know, I was really caught up in the vision of possibility for that place and knowing it was a fit for the dharma of this work, what we needed to do. We needed a place and we needed a place that was serene and beautiful. People could come to meditate and experience that divine beauty and so on and so forth. And, you know, today, today is the anniversary of my father's passing, you know, some years ago. So I'm thinking about him a lot. But I remember when so we got the property and I, I um, showed my father and, and he looked at it and he said, who's going to mow all those lawns? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I was a little hurt at the moment, you know, because like, he didn't say, wow, what a magnificent thing, you know, is happening in your life. He said, who's going to mow the lawns? I didn't think about who's going to mow the lawns. But, you know, later on, I had to think about who's going to mow the lawns and how will we pay for somebody to mow all those lawns? And then later, how will we remove those lawns to have an ecological landscape. But if I had thought about all those things in the moment, I, I would have been frozen. I wouldn't have been able to move forward. Right, right. No, it's a great, great illustration. So another area that I'm on reflection that I was thinking about Dharma, where it really relates to these three um, key practices that are set out as the three main practices of Kriya Yoga that are set forth in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra 2.1, which are self-discipline, self-study, and self-surrender. You write about the yamas and niyamas. You write, virtues are the flowers of our innate divine qualities that bloom in the soul's garden when it is cultivated with self-discipline, super-conscious meditation, 
and surrender to God. That's just really lovely. Virtues are the flowers of our innate divine qualities that bloom in the soul's garden when it is cultivate with, cultivated with self-discipline, superconscious meditation, and surrender to God. So let's turn to those practices. How is the practice of self-discipline related to being faithful to our dharma? Well, I would just say about all three, you know, as a package, I want to just refer back to what I said about truthfulness, that a key insight and commitment for dharmis, those who would live a dharmic life, is, is being connected to the self, to the divine self, uh, to the soul or the reality of what you are. And without discipline, without study, without surrender, we cannot do that. Mm -hmm. um, so we need self-discipline so that we do not fall prey to being distracted. You know, particularly in the age that we're living in, it is so easy <laughs> to be distracted. You know, just click on one thing and you are down the rabbit hole of watching cat videos. This <laughs> happened to me. Um, and what's the next one going to be like? So um, you, we need discipline. We need to discipline the mind, discipline the, the body so that we live a long and healthy life. And again, you know, it's not, so it's like prospering in the body, being healthy in the body. It's not for the sake of the body as much as it is for the sake of dharma. So yogis want the body to be healthy so that they have an opportunity to um, clean up their karma and to fulfill their dharma uh, and their swadharma in this in this lifetime. So you have to have a disciplined life in order to do that. Otherwise, you know, life is um, just distraction and kind of one uh, material need after another. And the spiritual life keeps getting put on hold. You know, tomorrow I will meditate, tomorrow I will study, um, and that just that just doesn't come. Mm -hmm. That's right. Tomorrow <laughs> never quite gets here. <laughs> no, I think that's that's really absolutely true. And those rabbit holes, I certainly have um, fallen down a few myself. This this time is is uh, is is quite uh, remarkable um, to. Want to say why Dharma is so important, you know what I what I got to see uh, from my teacher um, is that when you live a Dharmic life, you know what your purpose is, you know what you're up to, and again, you know one of the parameters I think is so important is that understanding that Dharma is about giving back to life, you know, participating in life by giving back, and so for me the teachings of Kriya Yoga, um, it was just like a duck to water for that. When I, you know, first met my teacher, I heard the teachings and it, it, it unfolded as the greatest gift that was ever given to me. And I recognized that. And so I just felt this soul yearning that, you know, I want to give back you know, what was given to me. And you see people who are living their purpose. Um, and a lot of them, you see that element, you know, maybe they uh, grew up and their mother taught them to cook and they were so nurtured by the wonderful Italian kitchen and smells and food, you know, then they go on to be a chef, you know, to feed people in a beautiful way and, and give back, you know, what was, what was given to them. So, um, what what I saw in my teacher was that his commitment to his dharma from the time, you know, he met his guru and his awareness that he would carry on in this legacy of Kriya Yoga, it was just unwavering. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, when we are like that with our dharma, it, it frees us from that bane of distraction because we don't have time for it. And we know it, you know, we know that time moves swiftly, 
we're here for a purpose and we don't we don't have the the time we don't have the inclination but we also don't have the time to let our life fritter away we we have something to do and we know what it is so i watched my teacher do that and i do my best to live that way um and the more you're focused on your dharma and again your dharma is not just your vocation it's not just something you do your dharma includes you know, your family and your responsibilities to your family and people that you work with and, and so on. Um, when you know what your Dharma is, you can be about that. As, uh, you know, Jesus said, being about your father's business, um, you're focused. And so that's part and probably the foundation of that self-discipline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was most appealing to me about these teachings about dharma is yeah i started a i've been a meditator for a very very long time i've been studying with you for over 20 years and um when i dove more deeply into my meditation practice you know you're on the mat <clears throat> you're on the cushion rather you're having meditation experiences or sitting in a chair you're having these meditation experiences these experiences of oneness but if you're not living it in your life it's kind of a i don't know it's like a there's a jerky nature to it it's like you go off and you're inconsistent with it you know and then you come back and there's just this way in which when you're living trying to live a dharmic life there's much more of a flow um, where you're taking the realizations the deepest realizations that you've made in your meditation practice and trying to bring them into your life and, and allowing them to really change you i guess to me, that's the importance of, you know, Dharma too, because otherwise, you know, you go off your mat and you live a typical life the way you lived before, then it's harder to come back and, you know, and, and find that, find that place again. It's harder to, uh, well, partly it's just hard to do that because you feel it, you know, you, you start to feel within yourself when you're being inconsistent with that. And again, it, because it's not truthful. Yes. Not, you're not living the truth of your practice and you know that's why sadhana spiritual practice is is stressed it's the foundation for connecting with yourself and uh, for learning how to live the virtues the yamas and niyamas and and you asked about self-study you know um that you, you can think of those as your um aligner tools <laughs> so they help you align with your purpose they help you align with the universe, you know, with the divine reality, um, because those are all um, divine principles, harmlessness and truthfulness and non-sealing and so forth. So um, those are like uh, in your toolbox, alignment tools. <laughs> yes. There's a quote in your Dharma 365 course, Dharmic living is joyous learning by surrendered doing. I just, I just love that. Dharmic living is joyous learning by surrendered doing. So would you elaborate on that for us? That's kind of nice. <laughs> um, you know, it's really the principle of karma yoga. Meaning, uh, this experience of oneness that comes through the purification of the egoic sense of being the owner and the doer, you know, it's letting go of that. And as we learn, you know, skillfully, you know, how to uh, let go of the sense that we can control outcomes, you know, that we are the doer, um, that we are the owner of results. Um, life becomes much easier and more joyful. You know, it's all that clinging to the false self and the idea that we can, you know, we control outcomes um, that, that blind us, you know, to the flow of grace in, in our life. So, you know, when we learn these skills of sadhana, when we learn kriya yoga, when we learn karma yoga, 
um, we learn that learning itself in life, this purification of the ego that takes place um, is joyous because the more we learn, the more we can surrender and let go and the freer we become. And in that freedom, there is, you know, is great joy. Mm. Lovely. And I did just want to mention again for listeners that you do have a, a lovely course on Dharma, Dharma 365, that you can access through ellengraceobrien.com, her website. It is a year-long uh, program with uh, practices and um, journal prompts and you know reading uh, that is meant to be taken a little bite at a time. And I think if anything, the wide-ranging nature of our conversation today tells you that there's an awful lot to dig into here in Dharma. So I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to say about the course. Well, I think you can also go now, we have a new platform for courses. So you can also go to kriyayoga.com and you can see all the courses there. And, um, and that can be supportive too. So Dharma courses there, but there are also other courses um, mm -hmm. that, that are there. Kriya Yoga, all one word, altogether.com. Excellent. Here we are, once again, the end of our time together in closing. What words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Well, first, I want to thank you and the Yoga Hour team for this opportunity and for all that you do, you know, to bring the message of yoga um, to the world. And I, I want to say about Dharma, to just really speak uh, to the heart, to the heart of everyone listening to this message that, that you are a divine being and you are here with a divine purpose. Mm. And everything that you need to fulfill that purpose is at hand and will be provided as you move in the direction of uh, fulfilling that uh, soul inclination. Everything will unfold with uh, divine grace. So you can have faith in yourself, you can have confidence in the infinite, and uh, lean into grace you know, as you walk in this world. Mm. Beautiful message. <clears throat> For our listeners, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. My guest today has been Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. You can find out more about Yogacharya O'Brien, her books and online programs at her website, ellengraceobrien.com. And as she mentioned, uh, kriyayogastudies.com. Yogacharya O'Brien is also active on Facebook and Instagram at Ellen Grace O'Brien. Thank you so much, Yogacharya O'Brien, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. My pleasure. Thank you again. Yogacharya O'Brien is also the host of another podcast that might be of interest to listeners of this program, which is the Kriya Yoga Today podcast. You can um, uh, find out more about Kriya Yoga Today on her website. Um, you can also access Kriya Yoga Today wherever you get your podcasts. And it includes presentations from classes and talks that Yogacharya has given. There are also many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. There is daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m., in the afternoon at 4 p.m., and on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. All of those are Pacific time. Again, Pacific time, 6.30 a.m., 4 p.m., and then only Monday evenings, but 7.30 p.m. There's also Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word meaning a gathering of truth seekers that happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. Again, many, many more classes and events you can find out about by going to the website csecenter.org. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember... You carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. <laughs>